Good morning, church. I am Scott Brubaker, a member of the Elder Council, and Tim has asked me to share a message about evangelism today, as he is away taking Grant to school, Ian Betty, so I am happy to do that because I think that in my life, I know that, I am continually in need of being reminded of the importance of evangelism and that my life needs to focus back and refocus um, on that. I tend to lose my sense of urgency, my sense of intentionality, and I need a reminder. So it's been good to prepare this message um, for this. I've already thought of some things I should be doing in my life. Um, So that's what we're going to talk about today is evangelism. You know, there's um, a story. It's not a biblical story, but it's a story that when Jesus got back to heaven after paying for the sin of the world, dying on the cross, rising again, ascending into heaven, he was met by a group of angels in heaven. And they said to him, Jesus, it is so great what you have done for these people. You died for them. You were sacrificed to pay the penalty for their sin. They now have a way to get to heaven and have a relationship with God. What a great thing you did. But Jesus, how are you going to communicate that thing that you did, that great event? How are you going to tell people that? And Jesus said, my people will share that message with other people. And the angels looked at him and said, Jesus, do you have a backup plan for that plan? Jesus said, no, I'm counting on my people uh, to do it. The angel said, you mean those weak, distracted, self-centered, lazy, unreliable people? Those people? And Jesus said, yes, those are my people, and those are the people who are going to take this message to the world. So um, it's really not a biblical story in reality because, and this really is my point today, that the Bible tells us that God hasn't left this job, this privilege really, of evangelism just to us, that he is with us in this endeavor all the way. Okay, so that's the story we're going to build out a little bit today. Evangelism is a big topic. I couldn't cover it nearly in in one day, so I chose, I had to choose a couple of things that I hope um, can help us to be faithful in this area of our lives, and I'm going to talk about those today. Um, I hope I can take the pressure and the stress out of evangelism for you today. I really hope I can remove some excuses for you not doing evangelism. And maybe, as Tim says, I can put a stone in your shoe and give you the confidence um, that you can be successful in having a biblical perspective on this issue and in so doing to motivate all of us, really, to be engaged in evangelism. Evangelism is simply the announcement, proclamation, and or preaching of the gospel. The gospel, the good news summarized in 1 Corinthians 4 that I will refer to many times today, that Christ died for our sins and rose again. Christ died for our sins and rose again. Um, I encourage you to um, pursue this topic. We cycle through some equipping classes on evangelism, where we'll build out these um, topics more in detail. I can only summarize them today, but I encourage you to take the next 
evangelism class when it comes around. But church, um, nothing is more important than evangelism and helping others believe in Jesus. The Bible pulls no punches about the awful fate that awaits those who die without a relationship with God. An eternity in hell, no peace, no goodness, no hope, no God. It's a horrible fate. But since we don't see it, it's not in front of us, it somehow seems less real. It does to me anyway. But unfortunately, it's very real. The Bible doesn't allow us to not see it as real. One of the scariest verses in the Bible that I know is 2 Thessalonians 1.8. It says, Jesus will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. So it's pretty serious business that we're talking about here with real eternal consequences for people, you know? Excuse me. We're going to do a lot of things in heaven, and they're going to be great. We're going to celebrate. We're going to feast. We're going to honor God. We're going to judge angels. We're going to do all those things and more. We're going to rule over cities. But sharing Christ with other people is not one of those things we'll do in heaven. Because people who haven't taken him as Savior won't be there, right? They won't be there. So now is the time. This life is the time to share Christ with people. So I believe there needs to be an urgency, an intentionality, and a focus to our lives because there's a hard stop at the end of all this, right? Either they die or we die or Jesus comes back. And that's the end of our chances to share Jesus with people, okay? So where am I going with this? As Christians, we enjoy a position of privilege as children of the King of Kings and blessing due solely It's already been mentioned a couple times to God's grace and his generosity. 2 Corinthians 5.14, For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. So at the heart, at the heart of all evangelism is a response It's a response to what God, in his grace, has given us. The free gift of forgiveness and the lives he's blessed us with. Flowing from fellowship and gratitude, so in step with his spirit that we feel his heart for lost people. We do evangelism not out of guilt, but because God so loved us, we should love others. And there is no better way to love people than to tell them how to join God's forever family, right? My greatest fear in life is that I will waste my life on things that don't matter in eternity. And this is one thing I can be engaged in that truly, truly is of eternal 
significance. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. I don't personally believe that this personal evangelism that we're talking about here is a matter of giftedness, but one of obedience to God's commands, as we will see. Okay? With that as an intro, where are we going with this today? Okay, Fareed, can we get the first uh, slide? Okay. I'm sorry if these slides are, the, the font is a little small. Um, just two, two things I want you to know today from this message and one thing I want you to do. They tell me I have to limit the scope of what I talk about, so that's what we're doing today. So two things to know. One is that God desires my obedience in evangelism, not my opinion. Second thing to know is that evangelism is a process overseen by God, but impacted by people. And then the one thing, just one thing I'm going to ask you to do as a result of this message is to choose action over apathy. Choose action over apathy in the context of evangelism. Okay? That's where we're going, church. Okay. God desires my obedience in evangelism not my opinion. Jesus was starting his earthly ministry and came upon Peter finishing an unsuccessful night of fishing. So we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to go um, from verses 1 to 11. If anyone would like to join us there, or you can just listen to me read it. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water, and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled, so they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and, he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of ZBD, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, uh, next slide, Fareed. So let's go to the the pertinent part of this verse. And um, Jesus said, put out into deep water 
and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, because you say so, I will let down the nets. He and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Okay? So just to discuss that a bit, Peter had an opinion about the perceived futility of lowering the nets, just as we have opinions about why we should not be actively engaged in evangelism or why we shouldn't share the gospel. What could have been Peter's excuses? He was tired. He'd been up all night. He had no reason to believe the results would be different than the night before. But because Jesus said to, he lowered his nets and caught a lot of fish. Jesus quickly turned that to an illustration for evangelism to go and be fishers of people. Apparently, God blesses our obedience in spite of our opinion. Listening to God in fishing means catching lots of fish. Listening to God in evangelism means lots of people's salvation. Just like Peter was told to lower his net, there can be no doubt that God has called us to participate in evangelism. Just as there's no doubt that our excuses, just like Peter's, pale in comparison to his call. The next slide compares the robustness of God's call for us to share Christ with others and the flimsiness and the flimsiness of common excuses why people don't participate in evangelism. Okay? So we have it up there. On the left-hand side, you see the, the biblical admonitions, encouragements, commands to share the gospel, to participate in evangelism. I've labeled that because God said so. And on the right, are our opinions of why we don't do that. Let's just go through these and compare the two. The great command in Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. The great commission, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Acts chapter 1. And then in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians 2, we put together this We have been entrusted as a steward with the gospel. And those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5, as though God were making his appeal through us. And then, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, Jesus said, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns. Okay? Pretty clear pretty serious stuff. What are some of the opinions? I've, gone, I've used all these. I'm sure you probably have too. What, what are some reasons why we don't do evangelism? Well, I'm afraid. I don't know how. I won't have all the answers. It's not my gift. They won't like me. They've heard it before. They're not interested. Oh, I'll do it another time. I don't have time, and I don't know how. You know, as I went through this list, putting this together, I realized... I had used two of those excuses 
myself in the past two weeks. I'd use two of those, okay? So <clears throat> which side of the slide should prevail in our lives? That's kind of the point. Obedience to the many scriptures um, <clears throat> calling us to help others start a relationship with God or our excuses. Well, a couple questions. Which one of those responses would glorify God? Which one would glorify God? Which one will matter a million years from now? Which of those choices that we make will matter a million years ago? Sharing Christ with people or being afraid and not thinking that they will like us? Which of those responses would Satan prefer that we make? And to which of those will God say, well done? To which of those will God say, well done? So God desires my obedience in evangelism, not my opinion. Can you remember that? God desires my obedience in evangelism, not my opinion. Okay? Number two, evangelism is a process overseen by God, but impacted by people. Salvation belongs to the Lord, says Psalm 3, 8. Evangelism, we will learn, is something that God does that God does, that God does, to bring people into relationship with himself. God loves people more than you do. God wants people in heaven more than you do. Without the Holy Spirit drawing, convicting, forgiving, justifying people, there is no evangelism and there is no salvation. So all of our evangelistic efforts are dependent, are totally dependent on God. Romans chapter 3 says, for instance, that no one seeks God on their own. It is God who saves people. We have the privilege of being used by him in specific ways, as we will see. Okay? It's essential that we understand the different roles that God has assigned in evangelism. Knowing this helps us perform our role and let, let God do what only God can do. And as we will see, God ends up doing most of it. That's not to say our part is not important. Okay? I'm going to read uh, a verse, which I don't have a slide for. It's, uh, but we're going we're gonna to work through it here for the rest of this message. Um, it's from Colossians 4. And it's starting with verse 1. I'm going to start to introduce to us um, our role in evangelism. And then we'll have another slide that describes that. Okay, so Colossians 4.2 says, it's short. You can turn there, but you don't have to. Paul is writing to the Colossians in kind of the general wrap-up at the end of this letter. He says to them, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay? So we'll be back to that 
we'll be back to those verses um, in a minute as we wrap up. So could we see uh, the next slide, please? Okay? Let's look at and compare these roles in evangelism, God's role and our role, okay, taken from Colossians chapter 4. God's role, um, we know that Jesus came to seek and to save lost sinners from Luke 19. We know that Jesus paid the sin penalty of the whole world, 1 John 2.2. 2. We know the Holy Spirit from John 16 convicts people of their sin, impending judgment, and the need of a Savior. And we know from John 6 and John 12 that God enables people to respond and God calls people to faith, okay? Those are the things that God does in evangelism. Those are the things that God does. Now, what's our role? Taken from Colossians 4, and we will go through this again. We have the privilege and power of prayer for open doors and a clear gospel message. We are called to be wise toward outsiders. We are called to make the most of opportunities by bringing God into our conversations, and we are called to know how to respond to people. Okay? So just comparing those two roles. How do you think you would do with trying to fill God's role on the left-hand side. Okay, how are you at saving sinners? Okay, can you do that? You ever done that? No. Thank you, Kelly. You're right, you can. How, how are you about paying the penalty for the sin debt of the whole world? No, it doesn't work out so well, right? How are you doing with convicting people of their sin, judgment, and need of a Savior? No, it doesn't work out too well. So those are the things that um, God does. So let's Let's just analyze these roles for a minute. And this is the point of this information. It seems to me like God has kept for himself the big, hard stuff in evangelism. The seeking, the dying, the drawing, the calling, the convicting, the saving. I'm glad he does the hard things, the things that require power, the things that only he can do. We have a role an important one, and God has been clear what that role is, okay? We can pray. We can be clear on the gospel message. We can make references to God in conversations. We can be gracious. We can be wise. We can look for opportunities, and we can be ready to share the reason for the hope we have, right? We'll come back to this in a minute, but I hope that even just initially— Knowing these God-ordained roles in evangelism takes some pressure off and also frees us to focus on the things we should be doing, praying right, living right, having the right message. Praying right, living right, having the right message. If we are obedient in these things, right prayers, right life, right message, we are being obedient to our role in evangelism. Can you, do these? can you do these things? Yes, you can. God has not given us tasks in evangelism that we are not able to do, if we choose to. As we understand these roles God has assigned in evangelism, we realize, I realize that too many times 
I want to step beyond the role that God has for me. And when I do, I get frustrated, burned out, and I give up when it doesn't work. Okay? So let's remember that evangelism is a process overseen by God but impacted by people. So remember, play your role and not God's. Okay? You're with me, church, so far? All right. Lastly, let's make a little application here. Let's choose action over apathy. Choose action over apathy. So let's be faithful to the biblical role that God has set for people in evangelism. I'm going to, now I'm putting up uh, Colossians 4. That's what I read before. And it says, again, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay, let's just um, talk about that for a minute. I hope some of this has made some sense and shown us the biblical roles ordained by God in evangelism. I know they've been of great comfort to me knowing what I was asked to do in evangelism and what I wasn't responsible for, frankly. And the bottom line is that we can all be successful and obedient in evangelism. As God has left us, with roles that are within our ability to do. Mostly, they are matters, I think, of the will or the heart. Will I be faithful to what God's calling me to do or not? Will I participate in God's rescue mission for the world or not? Will I spend my life on eternal things or not? I think the way God has laid this out, there won't be any excuses once this life is over, And I don't know about your life, but my life is flying by. And before I know it, it will be over forever. So let's circle back to Colossians 4. Just make some applications just on a couple um, of these things. Okay? So let's start with prayer. Okay? Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Well, being devoted to prayer sounds like Paul wants us committed to consistent, persistent, strong prayers in an attitude of watchfulness, waiting for God's response to that prayer, and in gratitude for the privilege of prayer, okay? I don't think Paul is talking about these popcorn prayers that I find myself praying, and there's nothing wrong with them, but it sounds like, in this case, Paul has something a little deeper in mind by being devoted to prayer. Prayer for what? He prayed uh, we should pray for God to open a door for the message and for clarity uh, of the message. What is the message? The gospel. The message is the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins and rose again. And Paul asked for prayer for himself and us to proclaim it clearly. 
My experience has been that having confidence um, that we have the right message gives us confidence to share it often and share it well. In Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. Paul believed, and so should we, that the power for evangelism is not um, in us, it is in the message, the gospel itself. You know, there was a woman at this church who uh, many years ago went here, and she was from England, and she um, became a Christian here, and her sister very definitely wasn't a Christian back in England. She wrote her sister a letter, and she shared the gospel with uh, her sister in this letter. And she said her sister got angry at her for writing this letter and sharing the gospel. She was offended by it. But you know what happened? Seven years later, her sister became a Christian. And her sister said to her, she said, you know, I hated you for writing that letter to me, but I couldn't forget what the words said. And I just didn't have any peace until I claimed it for myself. So the power is in the message of the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Paul was a man of great intellectual ability and great learning, and what was the gospel to him? Christ crucified. And why would it be any different um, for us? By the way, Paul also said earlier in that passage, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. This is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, came in great fear and trembling. So even Paul was not without fear in evangelism, but was not obedient without fear, but was obedient in spite of fear. Obedient in spite of fear, okay? That would be something for us to be. So let's just um, close by talking about the clarity of the message. I believe the greatest need in Christianity today is understanding the difference between the one thing that is needed to enter or start the Christian life and the many things we are called to do to live the Christian life. Our message must be clear about what God is asking people to do to enter into a relationship with him. Believe that Christ's death paid the penalty for their sin in full. Believe means to trust or to rely on. So the question I think we have for the world is what are you depending on to get to heaven? Paul's and our response to that question is the gospel of God's grace. Christ died for our sins and rose again. No message about evangelism would be complete without talking about grace. We should all be talking about grace. It is what Christians uniquely 
have to offer the world. Grace. Getting something not only that we don't deserve, but something we deserve just the opposite of. We should be people fixated on, overwhelmed, and rejoicing in God's grace. It's the most honoring thing we can realize about God and the most humbling thing about ourselves, that we can never earn or deserve our salvation. We receive it as a gift of grace or not at all. You know, the, the theologian C.S. Lewis walked into a conference of theologians who were trying to decide what the difference is in Christianity between Christianity and every other religion in the world. And he walked in and said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. Grace is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. It means a free gift. By free, we mean it is totally undeserved or unearned. Nothing a person does, commits, surrenders, or promises can earn or merit grace. It is an unconditional gift. By unconditional, we mean that God, the giver of the gift, does not put any conditions on people before they can receive this gift. When someone tries to earn or deserve the gift of grace, it ceases to be grace. When it comes to our eternal salvation, God does not pay wages. He gives eternal life only as a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it all, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by work. Grace, God's free gift of unmerited favor, is the means God uses to save people. We appropriate that gift into our lives by faith, by believing that it is true for us individually and personally. What is vital in communicating the gospel is that there is one condition of eternal life, to believe in Jesus. So as I close, if we order our lives to focus on the role that God has given us in evangelism and be clear on the gospel, what God is asking people to do to become his children we can be sure that God will honor his word and our obedience in evangelism will not only be successful, but an adventure of seeing him work in the lives of others he has called us to. Thank you. That's my message.